Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Hypnosis Nerd. I'm Luke Chow. And I'm Kim Gray. From the Morpheus Clinic for Hypnosis in Toronto, Canada. In this episode, we're going to do our very best to provide a thorough answer to the question, does hypnosis work? Or alternatively, it might be phrased as, is hypnosis real? So on its face, the question of does hypnosis work or will hypnosis work for you or is this a real thing? Um, it seems simple on its face, but the reason we're dedicating this entire episode to the question is because there is a lot to unpack. First of all, we have to define hypnosis and then we have to define the word work. So what do you mean by works? Right. Mm -hmm. um, one analogy that I've been using more and more of is the idea that um, hypnosis is more analogous to a piano instructor and a student or a golf coach and a golfer than it is a surgeon and a patient or a doctor and um, a patient taking medication. Mm -hmm. So many people, they kind of want hypnosis to be a magic pill, so they'll see hypnosis as a thing or they want it to be like an operation. They want it to be like a procedure where you are out and unconscious, mm -hmm. the practitioner does their thing, and then you come to feeling like a completely different person. And the reality is mm -hmm. a lot more complicated than that. If you were to call up your local piano instructor and you ask them the question, does piano instruction work? If you were to ask them, do piano lessons work? Yep, that sounds a little silly to ask. <laughs> it's, it, it is a little bit silly to ask because you, when you ask the question, you are denying your own role mm -hmm. in your success as a future pianist. Mm -hmm. um, same thing with golf instruction. Same thing with learning any other new skill. Mm -hmm. I mean, does university work to produce better <laughs> educated people? Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, but that's not the whole story. Mm -hmm. The same professor will test all 30 students right. who attended the same lectures, who did the same exercises, mm -hmm. and the grades range from A plus all the way down to fail, even right. though the professor teaches the same lessons yep. to everybody. And you're in the same classroom hearing the same words. Same classroom, precisely. Mm -hmm. So you, you can't deny your own participation in a process, mm -hmm. which is the next thing that I'm the next point I'm going to get to. Mm -hmm. Hypnosis is not an it. If you are tempted to think of hypnosis as a thing, something you can touch or feel, you're going to be disappointed. Mm -hmm. Hypnosis is a process. It's a process of communication mm -hmm. where the practitioner or the hypnotist or the hypnotherapist is using words or verbal suggestion to affect positively the way that you feel. Now, there um, there is research where you can see that brain wave patterns are different in hypnosis. You can see in brain scans that people's brains change during hypnosis, just like the brain wave patterns change during meditation. I very much see hypnosis as a process of communication. And communication always involves, well, at least two people. Both people have to be engaged in that process of communication for a message to be communicated. Of course, yeah. If I'm shouting into an empty room 
there is no communication that's happening. Mm -hmm. If I'm talking to someone and there um, is a language barrier, mm -hmm. um, then communication will be, I guess it'll be more through voice tone mm -hmm. and through body language than through the words that I use. Mm -hmm. But communication requires two parties both to be involved. Right, now, it's interactive. It, it's, it's interactive, mm -hmm. it's participatory. Um, in other videos, I might have covered the idea that when hypnotists use the word unconscious, we're not talking about all of the client being unconscious or asleep or unaware. We're talking about the uh, parts of the client's mind that are outside of conscious awareness. Mm -hmm. So, for example, the feeling of your feet in your socks or your shoes was unconscious until I brought your attention there. Your memories of your high school graduation were unconscious until I bring your attention there. Mm -hmm. So when we use the word unconscious, we're not talking about you being out like a light. We're talking about all of the thoughts, the memories, and the experiences that are outside of your current conscious awareness. If you were to call your local piano instructor and ask, are piano lessons gonna work for me? I don't wanna waste my money. <laughs> and I don't wanna do 10 piano lessons and not be able to learn how to play the piano. Mm -hmm. Um, well, I mean, th there are a few heuristics that the piano instructor can use. Um, so they might sit down with you for a lesson and see how quickly you take to instruction and how coachable you are and use that to predict, you know, how better of a player you'll be after 10 lessons. But it's, you know, after the first lesson, it's a best guess mm -hmm. at best. Mm -hmm. um, and if you, as the student, then don't practice or if you only... Uh, try to learn in the lessons um, mm -hmm. that's maybe like half an hour or one hour every week, yes. then mm -hmm. you might think that piano lessons don't work mm -hmm. when, in fact, even with the best piano instructor, you have to listen, you have to put in time, you of have course. to be coachable, you have to practice. Absolutely. So when it comes to beginning hypnotherapy, if you start hypnotherapy with the attitude that you're like a patient on an operating table or that you're a patient who's gonna take a pill, then you're not just disempowering yourself, but you're getting in the way of your own success. Mm -hmm. The same way a piano student cannot approach piano lessons with the attitude that the maestro's gonna put their uh, skill into the student's head automatically. Mm -hmm. um, so, if you approach hypnosis mm -hmm. with the same attitude as an eager piano student who recognizes their role in the process, who's more than willing to learn and to adapt and to follow the tutelage or the guidance mm -hmm. of the instructor, um, then you're much more likely to see results through hypnosis. You have to know how this is going to work for you um, or else it might just be words in one ear and out the other. Mm -hmm. If you believe that you're passive, you might actually just let the words come in one ear and um, pay little attention <clears throat> to them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. um, you know, I very much want to weigh things in people's favor. I don't want people going around saying they tried a session of hypnosis. They tried hypnosis once yeah. and it didn't work for them. Um, there are some people who are harder to hypnotize. Mm -hmm. um, I'll make the points later on yep. that um, the, the question um, uh, 
is incomplete in the sense that, you know, if you ask, does hypnosis work for most people after one session, mm -hmm. the answer is different from does hypnosis work for people after five sessions. Of course. So Absolutely. there are many variables involved. That, 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 that's why it's not a simple yes, no answer. That's mm -hmm. why this episode mm -hmm. is completely dedicated to the question of does hypnosis work or um, is hypnosis real? Is it a thing? Of course. I think another important factor to consider is also how much the client wants to change, just like how much or how badly someone would want to learn a musical instrument. Yep. You know, it's if you just show up and you go to the lessons, you know, if mm -hmm. you're if you're not engaged with the instructor, mm -hmm. if you don't want to learn the skill or to better your life in that department, I suppose, you're not going to experience benefits. Your Absolutely. heart's not in it. <laughs> Absolutely. And this is good news. This is news that should empower you mm -hmm. as someone who could be looking at personal change or hypnosis. Mm -hmm. um, usually by the time someone who's, someone has decided to do a session with me, um, first they decided they want to change. Then they decided that hypnosis is the best way to go about it. And then they choose me as a practitioner as opposed to other practitioners in the area. Mm -hmm. It's only after a going through those hurdles or barriers that someone actually ends up in my office. Um, so I, I'm going to address the idea that hypnosis is an it, because in the related discipline of NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, there is the concept of a nominalization. And I think it might draw from linguistics, where they also use this term, where a process has been frozen or solidified um, as a thing or as an it. Um, so I'll use an example because um, uh, we were just talking about this mm -hmm. um, before we turn on the cameras, but a relationship mm -hmm. is not a thing that you can see or touch. Mm -hmm. um, the NLP standard is can you put in a wheelbarrow? You can't put a relationship in a wheelbarrow. Mm -hmm. It's not a thing. And yet, in language, in the English language at least, we talk about it like a thing, a thing mm -hmm. that can True. be fixed, right. a thing that can be examined. Mm -hmm. But the thing is very abstract. Yes. It's not something in the world out here. Mm -hmm. It's only something inside people's minds. Mm -hmm. And the NLP perspective is that if someone talks about how their relationship is broken or mm -hmm. if they need to fix their relationship, it's more fruitful to look at what you can see or mm -hmm. hear. Mm -hmm. So what you say, the words coming out of your mouth to your partner, um, the way you react to what they say, the mm -hmm. things you do with them, yep. um, the things you can see and touch and hear yeah. are the things that make up the abstract concept right. of a relationship. The tangible things. The, the tangible things yeah. are more fruitful to mm -hmm. look at. Um, so... When it comes to hypnosis, often there's just so much complexity mm -hmm. that gets summed up in the word hypnosis, which in itself is poorly understood by the public. And, um, you know, so if someone asks me, can I hypnotize them? Um, I, I might say, well, the honest answer is maybe, I don't know. <laughs> um, but if I were to say yes, yes, I can hypnotize you, mm -hmm. they might be expecting to be put out like mm -hmm. they're under an anesthetic. When in reality, I see it as a communication process where I'm guiding the client's thoughts and imagination in a different or better direction. So even in that exchange of can you hypnotize me mm -hmm. and yes, there can be miscommunication um, even though we're using the same language. Mm -hmm. The main point I want to make is that hypnosis is a process. 
of communication mm -hmm. where the practitioner is using their words to help the client um, enter a more suggestible state of mind. Usually it's gonna be a more relaxed state of mind mm -hmm. um, and a state of mind where it's easier for them to take on new ideas and new attitudes, which is eventually what's gonna cause long-term change. Um, it's not mm -hmm. just being hypnotized that causes long-term change. Mm -hmm. It's being hypnotized to open your mind so that you can accept different ways of thinking, mm -hmm. different um, uh, beliefs, perspectives, or attitudes, mm -hmm. and it's your internalization of healthier attitudes that's going to cause long-term change, mm -hmm. not just simply being hypnotized. Absolutely, and I also so. feel like some clients, if they have more reasons to um, uh, keep their fears, for example, if it's a phobia they want to address, opposed to um, when you're giving them suggestions, even if mm -hmm. they're they're positive and they might be resonating, but if they have more reasons to hang on to the phobia, yep. then those positive suggestions that you're giving the client are not necessarily going to stick with them. Yep. So um, that's called secondary gain. Oh. And what, one example is that if someone's agoraphobia keeps them on disability, yeah. then that's a disincentive to overcome their agoraphobia, where once they can leave their home, right. they can't get disability and they uh -huh. will have to work. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I'm not blaming people who mm -hmm. ha have agoraphobia or who are on disability, mm -hmm. because this is an unconscious process. Mm -hmm almost all of the time. But it's a very common unconscious process where if you're benefiting from a problem, it's gonna be harder to give up that problem. If we were to apply the same uh, heuristic or test to hypnosis of can you put it in a wheelbarrow, mm. then no, you cannot put hypnosis in a wheelbarrow. It's an abstract concept. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not a tangible thing that you can see or touch or feel. Um, what you can see or touch or feel, um, well, usually it's here, um, is the hypnotist's speech. You can also see the client's reactions to the speech, some of which are nonverbal and some of which might be explicitly verbal. So it is the speaking of words and the listening to and acceptance of the messages contained in the words that forms the essence of hypnosis. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes I'll summarize for skeptics especially how hypnosis works as you have the power to open your mind when you choose to and also people can speak in ways that are more persuasive, that, are, um, that, that stay with you longer um, and when you open your mind and someone is speaking well to you, better ideas that make more sense than ideas that you want to overcome, then that's all you need to accept or believe in to understand how hypnosis works. So those are things we could see. You can see or hear the hypnotist speech. You can see or hear the client responding. Mm -hmm. um, it should never be a question, really, of... Um, is it really working for you? Because if you're questioning it, it probably it's not. Mm -hmm. um, although, on the other hand, people do tend to view the past through the lens of the present, mm -hmm. where if you're in a better mood today, it's easier to remember the happier events of your past right. and harder to access the more difficult or um, uh, more depressing events of the past. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're depressed today, um, and I use the term non-clinically here. Um, if you're sad today, then it's just easier to access the sad memories and it's harder to access happier memories right, when you're sad. Right. Um, I definitely want to or endeavor to um, have the client themselves notice 
a change that is unquestionable within the first few sessions mm -hmm. as a standard for this working for that client. I've talked about how hypnosis is not a thing or um, an it. It's not like a pill. It's mm -hmm. not like a surgical procedure that you can see. Mm -hmm. um, it is instead a process of communication yep. that primarily happens inside the client's head. Yes, you have so, to be an active participant. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, if a client actually falls asleep during a session, so if I notice that they're snoring, if I <laughs> notice that I made an emotional point and they're not mm -hmm. reacting non-verbally the way mm -hmm. they normally would, mm -hmm. then I'll check a few times by asking them to lift a finger. If the finger doesn't go up, then they probably actually fell asleep. Mm -hmm. And then I have to wake them up and put them back into hypnosis. Hypnosis is not sleep. Right. Hypnosis is, well, the best description of it is if there's full wakefulness up here and there's full sleep down here, hypnosis is a state in between. Mm -hmm. So if someone actually falls asleep, they're not listening to a suggestion to mm -hmm. lift a finger. They're also not listening to suggestions for whatever reason brought them there. Mm -hmm. That's why I wake them up and bring them back into hypnosis. So yes, I, I want to validate the idea mm -hmm. that the client um, should be aware enough to be listening mm -hmm. to what is being said right. during sessions because it's a process of communication. Once you remove the idea that hypnosis is an it, and you buy into the idea that it's communication between two people, usually it's just two people, mm -hmm. then um, you can understand how some people are better communicators. Mm -hmm. And if you were to look for tools or training or skills anywhere, it is in the communication. And communication, in many ways, is an expression of one's thinking. Um, if there's one thing I want to do with all of these um, podcasts and episodes, it's to explain more of the thinking behind how people achieve change through hypnosis. I am very much in the business of uh creating and disseminating better thinking. So the hypnotist's role, in short, is to be an effective communicator, to communicate within the scope and bounds of mm -hmm. each session, better thinking to the client who the hypnotist has first put into hypnosis, which is a state of mind which allows the, 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 the client to accept ideas more readily without criticism, analysis, or judgment. So that's the hypnotist's role. They're part of the process. Um, again, there is no it that's in between. Mm -hmm. So the client's role is to follow the guidance of the hypnotist, to um, keep an open mind, to suspend analysis and disbelief as much as they can, and to let the hypnotist's words affect the way that they feel. So that's the fundamental communication that's happening in a hypnosis session. There is no it. Hypnosis is not outside of human minds. Mm -hmm. um, it is the practitioner speaking well, using the tools that they're trained in, communicating good ideas, better ideas that will help the client in their problem. And it's the client listening carefully First, to open their minds more and more to let go of their usual modes of critical analy analytical thinking mm -hmm. more and more. Mm -hmm. And um, then to be 
accepting and absorbing what the practitioner is saying and letting the practitioner affect the way that they feel mm -hmm. about whatever the issues are that they're there for. Earlier I talked about how sometimes, you know, something like a sniffle mm -hmm. or misuse of a word might cause the client to uh, break rapport or stop listening. Mm -hmm. um, well, at the same time, when the client is engaged in the session, when they basically trust you, if you do make some mistakes or can't find the right words, sometimes they get the message anyway mm -hmm. because that's what human beings do. Um, communication is never precise the way that mathematics or engineering is precise, the way that computer programming is precise. I think that one false analogy that's not often recognized as a false analogy is the idea that the human brain is like a computer and our mm. memory is like a hard drive mm -hmm. and our stream of consciousness is like a CPU and, and, and so on. We only came up with that analogy because we live in a digital age. Mm -hmm. um, 100 or 150 years ago, in the age of the steam engine, people thought of the mind as mm. almost like a steam engine mm. where pressure builds up and they have to vent it out. They have to blow off steam. I like that one better. <laughs> well, it, it's all analogies. The human mind is the human mind. Right. And you know, each of these analogies describes a facet of it, mm -hmm. but never the whole thing. When, when people use the word hypnosis, mm -hmm. um, sometimes they're referring to the whole practice of hypnotism or hypnotherapy. Mm -hmm. In other cases, they're talking about the state of mind that the client is in such that they have suspended disbelief or um, that they've suspended analytical thinking. Mm -hmm. So I kind of use the word in both senses. And um, I, I use the word hypnosis in the first sense sort of colloquially um, because people will use the word hypnosis to, to describe the whole practice. Mm -hmm. um, technically, you could say it's hypnotism or hypnotherapy or consulting hypnotism, um, whereas uh, hypnosis very technically refers to the state of mind the client's in. Mm -hmm. And a state of mind is a subjective experience. Yes. Mm -hmm. So asking whether hypnosis is real is a little bit like asking whether love is real. Some people have experienced it, and they say, yes, absolutely, it's real. Mm -hmm. But you can't see it. You can see only the outside manifestations mm -hmm. of someone who's in that state. Mm -hmm. um, other people who might be more cynical will say, no, love does not exist. It right. does not real. There's yeah. just payoffs or transactions mm -hmm. or you rub my back, I rub yours or so on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, th th that's like everyone thinks about love. Everyone wants love. Mm -hmm. And yet, you know, when I painted a picture of, of, of the cynic, you can imagine how someone just might not believe in love mm -hmm. and also then deprive themselves of the experience mm -hmm. of feeling that feeling. Hypnosis is somewhat similar because it's a subjective state of mind. Um, you might also say happiness is another analogy in that it's going to be defined differently by everybody. Mm -hmm. And it's a subjective experience that we just put a word on. Um, so um, I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this in other episodes, but just to recap a definition of hypnosis, it's a state of mind where the client's suspending analytical thinking um, in order to accept uh, new ideas um, that are suggested by the hypnotist or the practitioner. Mm -hmm. um, so I hope this part of the episode clarifies mm -hmm. why hypnosis is not a thing. It's not an it. 
Instead, it's a process of communication mm -hmm. by a hypnotist who's doing their very best to communicate effectively and clearly, and a client who's doing what they can do to keep their minds open, to keep judgment suspended, so, they, so that they can be positively affected by what the practitioner is saying. Right. If anything's in it, it's the very vague, nebulous state of mind that the client is in. Again, we can only just see the outside signs, so we'll see the relaxation. We'll also be able to suggest things that the client normally wouldn't accept to see if the client takes mm -hmm. those suggestions, but those are just the outward manifestations. What's more important is the client's subjective experience. Um, and that's why hypnosis is not so easy to define as a thing right. or an it or something that's real right. in the sense that it's tangible. If a client's um, starting off skeptical, but they're willing to buy into the idea that human communication is how one of the ways how we get better, good communication, communicating better thinking and better ideas mm -hmm. will make people happier if they can buy into that idea. Yeah, you have to work on um, being more open-minded too. Yep. I think to, to a degree you can change yeah. that and if you become more open-minded then you would be more uh, suggestible, yep. right? There's a direct correlation. Mm -hmm. People, so actors are the most suggestible mm -hmm. occupational group. I have found this consistently, right. Right, right. where um, actors are used to being directed by someone else. Mm -hmm. They're also used to feeling different emotions. They're used mm -hmm. to abandoning their usual ways of thinking to be in an entirely fictitious character's headspace. Mm -hmm. They're used to the many skills that are involved in um, adopting new attitudes or perspectives when it comes to the issues people see hypnotherapists for. Right. So almost universally, well-trained actors are the easiest people to hypnotize. Mm. They have the most profound experiences and they make the fastest changes. Right. And just to give you a, um, an example on the opposite side of the suggestibility spectrum, if I were to occupationally stereotype, mm -hmm. Computer programmers tend to be harder to hypnotize. Now, right. many creative programmers do see themselves as creatives, and if you do, then you're more likely, I think, um, to be more suggestible. But people who um, uh, have a hard time letting mm -hmm. go of logical, rational, analytical thinking mm -hmm. are the people who are going to have the hardest time with hypnosis mm -hmm. because the analytical thinking will block my words from being seriously considered. Mm -hmm. um, instead, it's just processed up here rather than actually felt or mm -hmm. experienced. Right. And I want the client in such a state of mind that when I speak, there are a few barriers in the way and um, my words can then affect the client for the better. And it's not just me wanting it. It's also the client wanting it too. You know, I think that's interesting. I was just also thinking, uh, just going back to when you were talking about actors and how mm -hmm. they're more easily suggestible. Um, would you say people that get easily wrapped up in watching movies are also uh, people that would be likely suggestible? Yes. So if you want to sort of self-assess how suggestible you are mm -hmm. um, with you know, questions like, do you tend to get emotional during movies? Mm -hmm. Here, I'll just think of a few off the top of my head. Mm -hmm. Um, one, do you tend to get emotional when you watch movies? Because if you do, you are letting someone else's communication affect your feelings. Right. 
which is the fundamental communication happening during a hypnosis session. Mm -hmm. And filmgoers will, will even use the phrase suspension of disbelief right. as mm -hmm. an important part of the moviegoers' experience of watching a movie. Mm -hmm. um, another question I might ask to ballpark someone's suggestibility is um, do you daydream easily? Mm -hmm. Do you tend to get lost in your own fantasy worlds? Mm -hmm. Because if you daydream easily, then you're also likely to be suggestible and easily have your mind go to new places or different places. One common misconception that many people have about hypnosis is that it's being hypnotized that causes change. And that's not the case. Mm -hmm. It's just to call back to an earlier analogy, mm -hmm. it's like being in love leads to an ideal relationship. Right. And well, that's not the whole picture. Mm -hmm. So with um with hypnosis being hypnotized is the part that allows you to open your mind to be more suggestible but someone who's in hypnosis is mm -hmm. never completely suggestible they're just more suggestible mm -hmm. and i think the fallacy is some people think that someone who's in hypnosis becomes completely suggestible which means anything said by the hypnotist is going to stick 100 percent and that, that's never the case. Of course, yeah. More typically, mm -hmm. some of what is suggested will stick with the client, and other points will need reiteration in future sessions. So the hypnosis part is just what gets the door open. More important is the messaging communicated during hypnosis. The messaging, if it's a good message and it's conveyed well, makes the client being in hypnosis less important. I mean, people will go to conferences or they'll go to sermons um, or they'll watch documentaries and the messages can change their thinking for the rest of their life without any formal state of hypnosis mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. So I do care very much about the message and I see hypnosis as sort of an amplifier, mm -hmm. sort of a uh, an accelerant. When I'm talking to a skeptical or a scientifically trained client or potential client and they ask the question of, does it work or is it going to work? Um, sometimes I'll refer them to PubMed. And PubMed is an online database of um, scholarly, uh, specifically um, in the medical sciences and the health sciences, um, mm -hmm. scholarly articles, um, papers, publications. So um, anyone who works in medical sciences or anyone who works in biology will be familiar with PubMed. Um, so I'll tell them, go to PubMed mm -hmm. and type in hypnotherapy. Now, what you'll find there, the last time I typed hypnotherapy into PubMed, there were 14,000 papers oh, wow. and journal articles. Mm -hmm. um, so there is a body of research there. And the topic of um, how you empirically measure a subjective experience, mm -hmm. um, that will lead to future sessions. But the scientists, the researchers, they do their best to um, design good research methodology mm -hmm. and then study this experience um, and also the way that um, uh, people react to hypnosis afterward. And what you'll find when you search PubMed is that it's always hypnosis for an issue. It's mm -hmm. hypnosis for pain management. It's hypnosis for dental uh, um, applications or uh, gagging. It's uh, hypnosis for, um, for IBS. Mm -hmm. 
So it's never just a research paper about is hypnosis real. I mean, there might be a smaller number of papers Mm -hmm. investigating hypnosis as a phenomenon through brain imaging, for example, or EEGs. Mm -hmm. But the bulk of the research is hypnosis applied to a problem. Um, So when you look at the research, Mm -hmm. um, what I'm saying is that the measured success rates Mm -hmm. will be different depending on the issue being studied. Mm -hmm. So if someone calls me up and they ask, does hypnosis work for HIV infection? No, no it doesn't. Mm -hmm. We got that question once, Mm -hmm. and that's an unequivocal no. Mm -hmm. They need just antiretrovirals. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, But if they ask, uh, well, will hypnosis work to help me relax? Mm. That's almost always an unqualified yes. Because mm-hmm. almost all of our clients, you've seen them come in and come out. Course, it's yeah. like coming out of a massage. Yep. So that we can say is yes. And with other questions like, will hypnosis help me stop smoking mm-hmm. or lose weight mm-hmm. or overcome this fear? Well, there are many variables and factors, but the success rates depending on the research methodology and the sample size and so on will vary it's it's of never course. it's yeah. never zero percent or a hundred percent it's always some number it's always some number in between right it is an interesting enough um, subject for research that like I said there's 14,000 plus mm-hmm. papers and articles in PubMed um, so it's, you know th- th- there's something to it mm-hmm. but I mean when people ask does hypnosis work one question I have to ask back is for what? Of course, Because yeah. there are some issues yeah. for which it's obviously yes or obviously no, mm-hmm. and everything else is, um, well, it depends. Speaking from my own experience, I believe that um, one rough heuristic for guessing as to whether hypnosis can help with any particular issue is, can the client be helped by a change in attitude? There are some issues for which a change in attitude or perspective is enough to help the client overcome the problem. Mm -hmm. There are many other issues for which a change in attitude or perspective is not enough. Mm -hmm. There are other issues yet where a change in attitude or perspective can help the client but not actually treat the underlying disease or disorder. Mm -hmm. Let's say that somebody comes to us and they are uh, overusing cigarettes or alcohol, and they're using alcohol or cigarettes to deal with workplace stress. Mm -hmm. Um, Many people do that. They'll stress themselves out at work, they'll try to decompress at home through Mm -hmm. the shortest route possible. Um, And one attitude I might introduce for that case, just to use an example, Mm -hmm. is that their employer is not paying for years to be taken off the end of their life. Their employer is paying them until 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. Their employer is absolutely not paying them Mm -hmm. to have years taken off of their retirement at the Mm -hmm. end of their life. Their employer is not paying for them to leave their children 10 or 15 years early. Their employer is Mm -hmm. not paying them for any of that. And they're not going to get this message from their employer. That's why they have to hire someone like me to give them these kinds of perspectives. Mm -hmm. So that's a change in attitude about work-life balance. It's a reframe, Mm -hmm. to use a more technical word. 
Um, and it's one that when fully accepted and adopted will help the client stop smoking cigarettes of or course. opening a bottle of wine yeah. after a stressful day at work. Mm-hmm. And so, that's definitely a universal truth, but it doesn't so easily come to mind, especially when you're engaging mm-hmm. in those activities, drinking or smoking to relax. It just You wouldn't think of that because you're just enjoying yourself in the moment, unwinding. People don't really pull you aside yeah. and say, here's how to be an adult. Mm-hmm. Here are the healthy coping mechanisms, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which is sort of where professionals come mm-hmm. into play. This mm-hmm. is also where books and other YouTube videos and so yep. on um, come into play, where yep. there's no shame in learning as an adult mm-hmm. what was not taught to you when you were a child, like how to achieve better work-life balance. Um, but that's where professionals come in. Of course, yeah. Um, so I gave an example of where an attitude change will help the client. Now I'll give you an example of where an attitude change will probably not help the client. Um, someone who's clinically depressed mm-hmm. has a hard time hearing the positive messages. They definitely mm-hmm. don't believe in the positive messages. Um, it's an issue that um, tends to require medication or a therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, positive messaging is not enough. Um, And, you know, that's for a severe depression, Mm -hmm. you know, something passing a clinical threshold. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas someone who's going through a breakup, some positive words might be enough Mm -hmm. to help them feel significantly better. So the um, analogy that I'll use is that if a client's fallen into a ditch, so deep Mm. that they need a ladder to get out of it. If they actually need um, Mm -mm. an outside tool Mm -hmm. um, to get out of that ditch, then hypnosis itself is not enough. Mm -hmm. If they've fallen into a ditch that's shallow and they're kind of, um, you know, embarrassed or they, uh, their face is in the mud and some words of encouragement, some praise, some positivity, some positive sentiments are enough for them to get up on their own two feet, on their own accord, Mm -hmm. hypnosis can probably help. So Mm -hmm. that analogy, the ditch analogy, I mean, I I made it up just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, but it's a good vivid picture, though. It It really does. It paints a vivid picture. Mm -hmm. I think it should help people better distinguish Mm -hmm. between what hypnosis is likely to help with Mm -hmm. versus what hypnosis is likely not to help with. One other uh, very general rule that I've noticed over my career is that it is easier to stop a habit or to change a habit than it is to start a new one. I find that one interesting. Well, I he, thought it was the opposite. No, <laughs> here's why it is. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say you want to stop smoking cigarettes. Mm-hmm. You just have to not go to the convenience store, not bum cigarettes off of your friend, and by default, you're a non-smoker, mm-hmm. right? The human yep. body does not need nicotine to live. That's true. It needs clean air. It needs food and water. It even needs like love, warmth, shelter, privacy, mm-hmm. but it doesn't need nicotine. Right. So by default, people are non-smokers. Mm-hmm. When they don't do anything to go out of their way and start smoking, they are non-smokers. That's the default. Right. If people come to me for motivation, Mm-hmm. or to overcome procrastination, mm-hmm. I'm less likely to be able to help them mm-hmm. than if they want to stop 
any particular habit. Mm -hmm. Because by default, if they stay in bed, they won't right. be doing the habit. So it's just the absence of doing something is easier than doing something, really. Ex exactly. I was thinking it's, of it of, of yeah. a more psychological perspective, where once you get addicted to smoking cigarettes, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, you have that craving for the nicotine, you, your mind does crave it, right? Our, In our, that sense. Yeah. Our luckiest clients are suggestible enough mm -hmm. and I guess at the right stage in their life plus maybe I'm having a really good day, day and hitting the nail on the head every time they're lucky enough that there are no cravings mm -hmm. um, I mean I think I've talked about this in other episodes but I somewhat challenge the addiction model mm -hmm. um, because I believe it's disempowering to believe that um, you're out of control right. of the yeah, habit. Mm -hmm. um, and I believe that because I'm interested in helpful messaging, mm -hmm. um, empowering, beneficial messaging, mm -hmm. um, I would rather give the message that a person is empowered to avert the convenience store mm -hmm. um, and to uh, stay smoke-free, which is the default for a human being. Mm -hmm. So on the topic of it depends, the um, complexity of the case, as well as the client's suggestibility, uh, will affect how likely hypnosis is to work for a particular client. And I, I frame things in terms of probabilities because we don't know until we try, mm -hmm. but people want me to guess before they try. So um, usually I just make the best prediction that I can. Mm -hmm. And the two components to the prediction are one, how suggestible the client is. Mm -hmm. So um, that is affected by, like I said, um, occupations tend to train people to be critical thinkers or they train people to take on new perspectives more readily. Mm -hmm. um, so that actually has an effect on how suggestible a person is. Um, someone's open-mindedness, someone's openness to experience, um, someone's ability to relax, um, someone being healthy enough that they're not, uh, for example, in chronic pain, that they don't have a condition that distracts them um, all the time. Th th these are all factors out of our control and that we, you know, unless the client tells us that we don't even know about, that will affect the client's suggestibility. So if you have done an online suggestibility assessment and it um, ranks you uh, or rates you as low in suggestibility, don't worry about it too much. Um, it's not your fault. Um, and it is possible to increase your suggestibility over time because going into hypnosis is kind of like practicing yoga in that the first time you do it, you're not quite yeah. so good at it. The second time you're less awkward. The yep. fifth and the tenth time you just get better and better at it. Mm -hmm. um, you can so, familiarize so, yourself with it, feel more comfortable. Exactly. Definitely. Definitely. Yes. Yep. Mm -hmm. And there is such a thing as fit as well between a client and a practitioner. Mm -hmm. For sure. so, sometimes the fit has to do with gender. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the fit has to do with the, the practitioner having a voice that you just really like. Mm -hmm. Sometimes fit has to do with um, shared uh, values or beliefs. Mm -hmm. um, so there is such a thing as fit where one client uh, and one practitioner can communicate um, uh, better together than with other people. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, th th there is no such thing as the best hypnotist for everybody. Of course. Because for all mm -hmm. my clients who may have experienced trauma with men, mm -hmm. they just won't be able to let their guard down as much 
as with a female practitioner. And th- 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 that's not their fault. That's yeah. not my fault. That just is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, although I do my best to be friendly. Um, <laughs> one other depends is um, how uh, complex the case is, um, how uh, long the clients have the problem, for example, mm-hmm. um, uh, whether they've tried to overcome the problem through other means and have now developed the belief that it's a for life problem mm. these mm-hmm. unknown factors will come mm-hmm. into play mm-hmm. um, when it comes to how much the client is receiving and accepting and believing in the message mm-hmm. that i'm communicating mm-hmm. and finally uh one other uh, it depends is something else that's out of my control as a practitioner which is how many sessions the client is willing to experience If the client wants to judge after the first session whether or not it's working for them, Mm -hmm. then the success rate's going to be lower than if if we have a group of clients who wait until after the third session Mm -hmm. before judging if it's working. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the first session, the client's just getting comfortable with me. They're getting comfortable with the process. Mm -hmm. They're having their questions of, are they doing this hypnosis thing right? Are they... um, uh, doing it right. Am I trustworthy? Am I um, someone they can listen to? Mm-hmm. These questions get answered in a first session so that they're out of the way for session two where they can actually listen to the message, mm-hmm. where it's the medium that has been settled and the message now comes to, to the fore. Um, so if you delay judgment until after the first couple of sessions, you'll see a higher success rate than after the first session. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have clients uh, willing to come for 10 sessions or 12 sessions, mm-hmm. I'd be shocked if the success rate is under 80%. Mm-hmm. Because um, with more time, there's just like, the, you don't have to guess as much. Mm-hmm. The practitioner doesn't have to guess as much. Um, we have more real world feedback. Mm-hmm. There's more time for a message to sink in. There's right. more time for a message to be reiterated. With more sessions, the chances of success go up. So mm-hmm. when it comes to answering the question of does it work? You can see now why it's not a simple yes or no answer but it's a huge it depends Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but when you understand that it's fundamentally communication between two people it's not an it it's not a drug it's not you might not even be able to describe it as a tool Mm -hmm. because it's not tangible you can't see it it's a concrete yeah it's a subjective experience Mm -hmm. um then you can also um i guess better Mm self-assess whether or not you think hypnosis is for you. Um, So we're not magicians. I wish I could say we're magicians. Mm -hmm. Um, The reason we have this series Mm -hmm. is to make good on our uh, slogan or motto that we make hypnosis make sense. I believe the more people understand hypnosis and the more people um, are not afraid of hypnosis and uh, the more people understand that it can be sensible, the more people will be doing it, and then the more people will benefit. Mm-hmm.